As the pandemic began to unravel life in mid-March, the San Diego Union-Tribune chronicled how life transformed. While nearly everything that makes San Diego tick paused in 2020, the U.S. Marine Corps did not. Instead, training for new recruits went on, with COVID-19 precautions. The Alpha Corps are the Marines of COVID-19, who earned their titles during the pandemic. Here's their story. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Andrew Dyer, the military reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune, tell us how this story came about in the beginning. How did you get access to these recruits during the pandemic? Well, we've done some reporting on um, how the pandemic was affecting uh, local military installations. You know, very early on, it was it was kind of a, a big question about how will the military keep doing uh, what it does day to day while this virus is you know, spreading in the community. And uh, very early on, uh, you know, they kind of shut down a lot of the stuff on local bases. Uh, they started to limit who could come on base. Um, but as things, you know, progressed and it became clear that this wasn't going to be just a two or three week lockdown, that it was going to be a, a long term reality. You know, the military had to make some tough calls and, and, and figure out a way to, you know, keep up the, the mission of uh, national defense. And, um, and, and part of that was um, recruit training, you know. Um, Initially, the Marines, um, uh, the, the very first week of uh, when things started to really go south, um, you know, the boot camps for the Navy, um, you know, and, and um, I think the Army as well had shut down their boot camp graduations and the Marines, they were still going to have theirs. And, you know, each day I, I wrote a story um, back in March about, hey, um, everyone else canceled their boot camp graduations, but the Marines are still uh, still going ahead with theirs. And then I think a day or two later, they went ahead and canceled it. Um, so since then, you know, the, the Recruit Depot had been kind of um, an interesting place to kind of tell a larger story about how the military adapts to, uh, to the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And Nelson Cepeda, you're a photographer at the Union Tribune, and you're no stranger to these kinds of projects and subjects. When covering this kind of thing amidst a pandemic, how does that change the way that you approach photojournalism and a photo story, given just, you know, how the pandemic changed our lives and the fact that this project began all way back in March? Well, I guess when the story was pitched to me, I thought it was an awesome idea. And having gone into MCRD, I've been on base before, uh, photographing Marines or recruits, as it is, uh, in boot camp. Uh, but for this one, the focus was, was going to be on what changes the Marines have done to deal with the pandemic, um, you know, from social distancing to masking to the quarantining. At the same time, uh, the Marines were challenged with still producing Marines, you know, taking recruits and making young Marines out of these men. Mm-hmm. 
And Andrew, can you walk us through the beginning of training for the Alpha Koa? It kind of put us back at the beginning when everything finally got started. Well, the the way it, it kind of came about was um, there was a we went and did a story um, early in in the spring or, or later in the spring um, about a, a bunch of new measures that. Uh, the boot camp had, had put into place after uh, there was a, a COVID-19 outbreak among a different recruit company. Um, and the the Marines had to, you know, quarantine an entire company. And they, they decided that when they brought in new recruits, they could no longer just do things the way that they'd been done. And they invited us to see how that happened. Um, and, and it was coming, coming out of that story, um, we decided to go back and actually follow an entire company throughout their their training. Um, so one of the biggest changes is that whenever a recruit comes to San Diego to start boot camp, they don't actually start boot camp right away. They they come in, um, they're given an N95 mask um, at the airport at the, at the USO, and then they're taken to the depot where they have, uh, you know, they get a medical screening. Um, they get, they do some initial paperwork. Um, they get an initial issue of like a, a ditty bag and some workout gear. Um, and then they're, they're funneled onto buses and they're sent to a, to a, a hotel where they are isolated in hotel rooms for two weeks. Um, now this isolation is, uh, you know, it's a true isolation. They're not leaving these hotel rooms at all. Um, they get a roommate and, um, you know, the, the hotel, you know, pipes in like a training video, like workout videos um, from, you know, Marine workout videos. And, uh, you know, they have to try to keep up their physical fitness in the confines of a, of a hotel room. It's a, uh, it's a courtyard Marriott. So if you've ever stayed at one, um, you know, it's not like there's a large amount of space to to do your exercises, but um, you know, they they try to make it work, and uh, you know, they do reading. They're they're allowed to use their phones. They don't have their cell phones at this point, but they do have access to the the hotel phone to, to talk with their family. Um, and then after that two weeks, uh, they go. You know, they're they're given their civilian clothes back, and they go to boot camp, and um, the process kind of goes as it would have in, in, in years past with the, uh, the shaving of their heads and their, all their uniform issue and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And all of this happened in the beginning phase of the pandemic in which California was under one of the most uh, severe lockdowns in the country. And our knowledge of the virus wasn't where it is right now. Testing wasn't where it is right now. So the level of fear and concern was a lot higher at that point than it is here. Did that factor into how you approached uh, taking those photos, Nell? Because I imagine the kind of what you have to do to get in and didn't do that photojournalism might have felt a little different in the beginning than it does when you go out on an assignment today. I mean, it did. I mean, things are very similar to photographing on base as it was off base. I mean, you know, Andrew and I are both wearing masks. Um, you know, we're taking precautions to 
try and maintain our distance from the young recruits. Uh, but there is, you know, a mass gathering of recruits, you know, in a squad bay or out on a range. Um, we're taking what precautions we can. But if you look at the recruits, it's they've established this bubble where they've been quarantined before boot camp for two weeks. So that bubble continues on. And the only access they have to outsiders, that bubble would be Andrew and I and and maybe some, you know, medical people because uh, they're with their drill instructor, 724. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like this is one of the rare instances in which that that bubble strategy actually works. You need that real military discipline. You do. It does. Yeah, they they close off the depot. Uh, normally, any active duty uh, member of the military can go to any base and, you know, go to the, the exchange or, you know, use the facilities there. But um, with the recruit depot, it's different. It, it's only supposed to be staff who work on the base that are uh, getting in. Now that doesn't always happen as we saw during the graduation, but um, that's the, the current orders for the recruit depot is only personnel who work there. Um, we were lucky enough to get an exception to, to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this story and in the photos that uh, you follow a number of recruits, they're kind of serving as main characters why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the recruits that are now Marines that you saw undergo this transformation? Well, we, it's kind of funny. Uh, so Nell and I went um, on the night that they arrived before they went to quarantine and we were just uh, basically given free reign. It's in a large like gymnasium and the Marines just said, you know, Hey, if you see somebody that you want to talk to, let us know and we'll make them available. And so we were just kind of like kind of standing off to the side and then walking uh, through the, the recruits as they were, you know, it's a stressful time for them. They're, they're, they're here to begin this, uh, this new journey in their lives. And here's uh, Nell and I like walking around and, and clearly we're not Marines. <laughs> and so um, we just kind of, you know, we kind of look at where they're from. We wanted to get a, a, a diverse, you know, geographic sampling. We wanted to make sure that we included, you know, um, you know, the Marines is a very diverse, um, you know, ethnically as well. So we wanted to make sure that we um, captured that in, in the people that we talked to. So um, we just, <laughs> you know, we basically just kind of picked people. Um, yeah, we just randomly picked people like, I mean, like one kid caught our attention because it was just this really young face, scrawny kid who ironically at towards graduation had bulked up and, and talking to him, he had actually gained weight. Whereas some of the other recruits that were heavier that we had selected to cover actually lost weight. Uh, so we thought that was rather interesting, but again, our profiling was just looking for, your, your average person who was coming in, so we're looking for a high school kid, we're looking for someone maybe who, who looked much older, uh, just trying to show the diversity of the Marines. Mm-hmm. And uh, the boot camp portion of this occurred just as protests were erupting across the country following the death of George Floyd. To what extent did these kind of outside events trickle into the bubble? Did that kind of change the transformation as, you know, in a sense, America was going through a little bit of a transformation during that point? 
You know, I made it a point to ask the recruits about, you know, their news consumption, whether they were kind of engaged in, in you know, they followed the news, um, what they thought about the protest movement. And it certainly, you know, they were aware um, of what was happening. And, and you know, um, one, you know, was concerned about um, what might be happening beyond the walls. But the, the thing about um, recruit training, and, and I think this became clear as I, you know, we visited several times and, um, you know, I kept asking them about this stuff. You know, it just became clear that, you know, part of going through recruit training is isolating and sealing yourself off from the rest of the world. You don't have your cell phone. You're not on the internet. You're not watching TV. Um, you don't, you, none of that stuff gets in. Um, you are a hundred percent focused on um, your recruit training. Uh, they do write and receive letters from home. So, you know, their family members might, uh, you know, tell them what, what's happening or, or when there's news. But um, for the most part, it, it, whenever we asked about it, it, it was, you know, not something that they were really talking about with each other in their, their squad days. And um, it was kind of something that they knew about, but it wasn't, um, it was kind of at the back of their minds. Uh, that was the impression I got. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's one thing that I think makes this, this time in this place, really separate from, you know, civilian life during the pandemic is that because many people had to stay at home, the kind of online and watching news as it, as it unfolded became so much more while these recruits were kind of existing in a pre-pandemic in a sense because they're isolated from all of that stuff that was, you know, really at the forefront of American minds. Right. Now, they, I wouldn't say they were totally isolated from the pandemic because, um, you know, boot camp changed to uh, to be able to continue during the pandemic. So they're still wearing masks um, much of the time. Uh, the only time they're supposed to take their masks off are when they're eating or when they're outside training. Um, but you know, they're they're constantly being reminded to maintain certain distances. Um, it, it's you know they're they're doing hand washing all the time and they're cleaning their their living spaces all the time. Um, recruits are um, getting sick uh, less than before the pandemic. But, um, you know, while we were following this company, one of the recruits we were following um, did have to quarantine. Um, he said he didn't test positive for COVID, but um, other, other recruits had. So the, you know, the quarantine isn't a 100% uh, catch all, uh, you know, COVID-19 is affecting recruits, but it's, it's the Marines at least feel like they have it controlled and they've got a, a system in place to, to isolate people when they become symptomatic. Now they're not, they're not testing asymptomatic recruits that, but when, if a recruit does get ill, then they pull them out of training. Um, so that was always there uh, and and um, they were definitely aware of the ongoing uh, issues with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And uh, by late summer, uh, training had progressed to the point in which they went to Camp Pendleton and kind of uh, finished out those those last uh, portions of training. 
Now, uh, can you describe uh, kind of what it looks like to observe this training? Like, kind of give us a, a a view behind the lens of what's it like to see these last stages in Camp Pendleton? Picture uh, tired young recruits. Uh, at one point, we met them out uh, on the range where their face was clearly painted up. Um, they were grabbing chow in between training evolutions, you know, and uh, while sitting on the bleachers, they were, you know, eating what they could, uh, preparing, you know, knowing that they were going to do an obstacle course in absolute darkness, you know, with the theatrics of explosions going off and the sound of gunfire overhead. And then just imagine them running through this obstacle course and crawling underneath the barbed wire at the same time being yelled at at drone instructors to get down, get over the wall, come back, do it again, over and over and over. And then when it's all done, grab their gear really quickly and march back to this uh, storage place where they were going to spend the night. And in one case, one recruit was was falling behind and was insistent on getting his rucksack together, his, his Alice pack. And the drone instructor just kept yelling at him, put it on, put it on and catch up. But it was... When you, when you see this, you see how they're just being tossed all this information, move, 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 do this, do this, do this, and they have to react. I think it's designed to create chaos, but it's designed to create this critical thinking like, I have to get going. I can't slow the unit down. Sleep deprivation, you know, that leads right up to the Reaper. I think they got, what was it, Andrew? They went down at 10 and woke up at 3.45 in the morning. Uh, well, I think it was 2.45. <laughs> okay, 2.45 in the morning yeah. and saved one meal uh, to grab a snack before they would, you know, make that final assault up the Reaper. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you walk us through what, what those final stages are? So the Crucible is the last training evolution before uh, a recruit becomes a Marine. They They earn the title. It's something that is in the recruits' mind from the the moment they arrive in San Diego is they they want to get to the crucible they want to get through it and earn their eagle globe and anchor which is the insignia of the Marine Corps. Um, so this uh, crucible it, it's it's about a three day um, training event with lots of hiking and and obstacles and different uh, training events that they they do. They're sleep deprived during the entire event, and um, at the end uh, they have the the Reaper hike, which uh, begins at about two forty five in the morning with a breakfast of a, an MRE, uh, a, a meal ready to eat, and uh, it, it ends with a, a charge of a steep hillside. Um, What's interesting about that that two forty five hike is. Picture, you know, Andrew and I were lucky enough to be on top of the Reaper and picture the valley. It's just covered with fog. And as we drove up to the Reaper with the, with senior Marines, uh, you're driving through fog and you know the Marines are carrying their Alice packs or rucksacks with them through this fog. And when we finally get to the top of the Reaper, we're standing up there and you could hear the voices of recruits in the valley under the fog, you know, and drone instructors. You could just hear that the whole company's making their last final move up towards the Reaper. It's, it's, it's really ominous when you just think of just all those, so all those Marines down there. 
Right. We, uh, you know, they, they drove us up. Thankfully they drove us up the hill and, um, you know, we got there right at sunrise and, um, it's really it's really beautiful the 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 sun coming up all of the layers of fog and uh, you can't see the recruits but you hear the echoes um in the in the canyons and everything um but it's uh you know they're carrying about 70 pounds of gear on their backs um so uh i by the end of it they're in pretty rough shape physically mm-hmm and at the top of that mountain is uh, the moment in which they finally become Marines. Uh, Andrew, why don't you explain that kind of ceremony? So, yeah, once they summit the, the Reaper, um, they go down the other side of the hill, and there's a bunch of stations uh, with uh, Medal of Honor citation uh, that they read, and, and the uh, uh, an officer will kind of give a speech. The uh, commanding officer for the, the company will talk about you know marine corps history and the values and and um and what it means you know what type of uh you know organization they are now uh, a part of and and um then the each each platoon will will form up and the drone instructor will uh, go through one by one and, and hand each recruit their globe and anchor and um, tell them something or, or, you know, tell them that they've done good, they've earned it, that sort of thing. It's a real uh, emotional moment for for these young men. Um, you know, they're obviously physically and mentally exhausted, and they've accomplished this goal that's been in their minds for some of them for years. Um, so it's 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 overwhelming emotionally for, for a lot of them. Um, you know, almost every one of them, you know, does cry during the event. Uh, I think all of these things come together and, uh, and you know, it, it's, it's really something to, to witness. It's also mm-hmm. interesting because you see a, a change in the relationship between drone instructor and recruit that now it's a drone instructor and Marine. So it's much more conversational, though they're still barking out orders, but it's much more conversational now. Mm-hmm. But it is certainly a change in relationship. Mm-hmm. And looking back at the evolution of the Alpha Co during this time, the fact that they just happened to become Marines in the middle of a pandemic, do you think that changes anything? Or do you think that the the system it stayed as it was in which that, you know, these uh, newest groups of Marines are exactly the same as the companies before them? You know, I, I think, uh, you know, it takes a certain type to want to join the Marines. Um, so in that way, they're very much like, you know, Marines that came before them. You know, there are different kind of training philosophies at work in the Marine Corps right now. There's a modernization kind of happening um, in the way that they approach things and look at things. Um, uh, Nell mentioned that the drill instructors talk to them differently. That didn't used to be the case. Um, they were in yelling drill instructor mode um, from beginning to end of boot camp. Um, but the the switch to treating the uh, the recruits more like fellow Marines at the last part of boot camp is fairly recent. Um, you know, they want 
as the senior drill instructor explained to me, you know, they they want them to be able to think critically and solve problems and not just be orders following uh, robots. Um, so that is a, a bit of a modernization thing, and that's had some. It's it's been the case in the Marine Corps for a few years now, and there's been some growing pains with that because when the Marines leave boot camp and go to their next phase of training. Um, there can be a little bit of a, a, a hiccup in the the mindset of the instructor personnel who are maybe, you know, the way they talk to them doesn't match up with how they were, the drill instructors were talking to them. And so there's been some incongruities there that I, I think the Marines are, are have, have worked through at this point. Um, you know, boot camp is also on the cusp of uh, gender integration. Um, you know, we just reported this week that the first women um, ever will be trained at the depot um, starting in, in February with a, uh, a proof of concept company that will have one platoon of, of women. Um, now, this isn't permanent integration yet. This is just a uh, kind of an experiment. There will probably be several more experimental platoons coming, but, um, you know, the Marines, uh, I, I think, are typically considered the more conservative of the um, branches of the military, um, but even they can't uh, kind of stem the, the tide of, of change uh, forever, and, and we're starting to see that um, in recruit training. I, I think also it's interesting, it should also be pointed out, Daniel, that the some of the training methods have been changed to be modernized the benchmarks that they're required to hit, whether it's the physical training that they're required to hit, uh, the marksmanship on the rifle range, uh, the the drill and ceremony marching, uh, the history and uh, on the Marine Corps, none of that has changed. That all those benchmarks are still required of the recruits. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking back at how the Marines uh, has handled the pandemic itself, um, what's kind of a uh, What's their report card? How well have they managed to contain the virus, Andrew? Well, um, they've certainly been effective at containing any information about the virus uh, from the media. Um, Unlike the Navy, who releases weekly total force coronavirus numbers, um, it's tough to get numbers like that from the Marine Corps. Um, Now, there is a cumulative number posted on the the Pentagon's website of how many Marines total throughout the pandemic have tested positive, but um, we don't know. Uh, certainly, we don't know local numbers, um, and that's true for for the Navy as well. Um, you know, there is, you know, the thing about, and especially in San Diego, you know, the military is a big part of our community. Um, you know, members of the military are your neighbor. Uh, they are at the grocery store with you. They are everywhere we are. And as coronavirus numbers uh, rise in San Diego, uh, so too do they rise in our military uh, population. Um, that, that's one thing that the Navy has uh, said publicly in, in some of their messaging to the fleet, that the coronavirus case numbers in military populations um, do correlate to the case numbers in the civilian population of, of, of that region where they're at. So um, it's 
not any better among the military than it is in the civilian population. One thing that has helped the military is that it's, uh, you know, just people in the military are generally younger and they are generally more healthy than the civilian population. So um, that has kept some of the, uh, I think, the severity on the extremes of the coronavirus down. Um, we have had members of the military you know, die of, of the virus, but it, it's a very small number um, compared to what you see in the, the civilian population. Um, so I think in that sense, um, the military is more confident about continuing operations despite the presence of the virus because it's just not having the same detrimental effect to the health of the force right now. One of the unanswered questions about the pandemic is the long-term effects of contracting this virus. We see some evidence of COVID long haulers and also some evidence of some heart issues, especially among athletes that we've seen in pro sports. When these kind of things happen and the general population now has this new pre-existing condition with the millions of Americans infected with the virus, how is the military going to have to adjust recruitment when, you know, 10, 15 years from now, there's going to be a lot of recruits that may have some health effects of this virus? Uh, that's a good question. And right now, we don't have any solid answers. I, I think um, there's probably a lot more research that needs to be done to understand potential long-term effects of, of COVID-19. But I will say that... Um, the testing strategy of the operational military forces is such that if you um, are asymptomatic for COVID-19, you're probably not going to get a test uh, unless you're on a ship or a unit that is going to deploy. Um, there is a lot of asymptomatic uh, spread of, of this virus um, and it's, mostly the the people who become symptomatic who are then pulled out of the general population um the numbers of asymptomatic versus symptomatic vary um i've seen anywhere from 30 to 50 percent of people positive for covid in the military um, as being asymptomatic um now if there are any long-term health effects from carrying the virus and being asymptomatic. That's a, an open question, um, I think, in the long term. Um, we've certainly seen the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs lag significantly in addressing long-term health effects of things like Agent Orange, which are only now being, veterans are being compensated for from Vietnam. Um, we've got the uh, uh, Gulf War Syndrome and issues with the burn pits in, in Iraq and Afghanistan that have still not been um, properly uh, figured out by the VA in providing veterans long-term health care. Um, so I think maybe in 30, 40, 50 years, um, we could very well be having this conversation about COVID-19 and veteran health care. All right. Andrew Dyer, Nelson Peta, thank you both so much. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix. San Diego News Fix is a production of the San Diego Union Tribune. This podcast editor is Digital Creative Director Beto Alvarez. 
If you want to join in on our recordings, like the Union Tribune on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where you will see us when we go live in the afternoons. Feel free to ask questions by commenting, and we'll work them into the conversation live. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.